I'm going to give a couple options here and I just show of hands or just a yeah, yeah or something like that. Best sitcom on TV. Okay? Seinfeld. That's one. Okay? We'll go a little bit uh, earlier than that. Full House. Okay? A little different generation. The Cosby Show. And then for those of you that are real drama fans, I'm going to go with ER. Okay? Now, you, you probably have some different set. Now, this is not representative sample of the greatest of all time. It's just, it's just sort of one. Oh, oh I got to throw one more in there because I know some of you might be of friends. Okay? Am I missing a major one that you want to hear? Like, MASH. MASH. That's, you know, that's, you, I just dated myself because that's before me. So, but I'll throw it out there. And, uh, okay. So, I'll go with, I'll start with that one so I don't forget it. Let me says MASH is the greatest sitcom of all time. All right. How about Friends? Not a lot of Friends fans. I'm surprised. Cosby Show. Few Cosby fans out there? Yeah? Full House. That was right in my, that was kind of like my wheelhouse. And uh, what was the last one I said? Seinfeld. The show about nothing. Okay. That, I, uh, some of you guys didn't vote, so either you're pretending that you don't watch TV or you don't like my choices. You can tell me later. Um, but here's the thing. <laughs> so uh, sitcoms are, uh, right? How, well, they've changed it now. The TV has changed, and lest I go on a, uh, a, f a bunny trail, I, I, I'll spend too much time on. Uh, the whole thing was like a half an hour show, and uh, maybe small problems or big problems, but everything comes to a resolution in a half an hour. And anything that you can think of can be solved, you know, with a little uh, stick to itiveness, and it's supposed to teach us like morality and all, all kinds of things, positive thinking. And um, generally, I think this has shaped our idea. Uh, more than more than you would maybe admit or even think about our ideas about um, stories like the reading the the narrative of scripture in general that uh, we expect everything to end on this like final resolution of everybody's happy and everybody and 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 everybody went home with their fair share or something like that and uh, that's not necessarily the case and so um, this morning, um, we're uh, walking through Acts, so grab, grab your uh, Bibles this morning. Uh, we're going to be Acts chapter 5, and um, I want to use this morning to both encourage us, but also warn us away from sitcom Christianity, right? A sitcom version of, of the church, or looking at um, your, your interactions with God or, or what you expect from him as something that can be uh, resolved in like, you know, a half an hour episode and everybody's happy at the end. And uh, I don't say that to be like uh, downer, like, but, but some things um, definitively are uh, negative by measurement, but positive in the, in the bigger scheme of things. And so um, this morning I, I took a big chunk of the story and we're going to kind of we'll walk through the whole thing. I'm going to major on like the beginning and the end, and there'll be some important statements in the middle, but um, most of the content will be out of um, those sections. And so um, I, I want to uh, remind you, if you weren't here or um, just by way of recap, that um, our, our mission is not uh, something that we add on once we 
once we figure out what it is to be saved, it's part of who we are as God's people. And um, the, whole, the whole point of that is that faithfulness in all of our life, like throughout every area of your life, is what it means to, to be a Christian. And so all of life is part of our faith, not just the big, the big encounters, not just the, the things that we think of as a crisis moment, and I need to make sure I'm faithful in that moment, but that in the mundane and in the, the regular that we see the, the necessity of being faithful. And so um, let me uh, pray for us, and then uh, we'll walk through the text together and see what the Lord would want to teach us. Father, we pray this morning um, for your word, that uh, it would go forth this morning in clarity. Father, I pray that you would um, be with our hearts as uh, we hear it. Father, I pray that you would... Um, use it to shape us, but um, God, I pray that we wouldn't just have more knowledge about you, um, but that you would um, grow us into um, people that, that uh, look more like your son by um, being shaped into the image of him through your words this morning. God, I pray for encouragement for us as um, we encounter um, difficulties big and small in all that we do that we would just see the source of our faithfulness and our courage and our ability and that we would find it in you. God, speak to us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. This is the, this is the end slide from last week and it's just to remind you again. So God's, God's designed for the, the, the mission to go forward, right? For the functionality of the church to work as it is, it's, it's the whole church being the church in and among the world. It's not uh, some other extracurricular that we're supposed to do as though evangelism were separated from what it means to just belong to God, okay? And that means our whole lives belong to him. Our whole lives are submitted to God. And so um, that becomes important because we, we, we sort of look at uh, some of the situations, the things that are highlighted in scripture, and we look at those and we think, well, when the time comes, I sure hope I have the wherewithal to, to withstand some certain trial, or I hope that, you know, God will give me the strength to do this or that. And all the while missing that it's, it's, it's not that those things won't come, it's that when they do come, um, we're encouraged to stay faithful or continue in faithfulness. And so the implication there is that we should have already been being faithful in all these other um, normal situations, if you want to say it that way. And so the testing of our, our faith always produces something. The testing of your faith always produces something. And sometimes it looks like it produces failure, uh, but that, that's not true. Um, sometimes what it does is it shows you that your, your faith was not in what you thought it was. The, the genuine article does not fail. And... Um, I want to um, read from you, uh, read for you out of 1 Peter to sort of give a, a narrative about what it means to go through trials and use that as an overlay on what we see happening in the book of Acts here in chapter 5. So just listen and, and listen carefully this morning to what this says. So out of 1 Peter chapter 4, and this is starting in 12, and I know that you've heard these words before, but I want you... To, to just listen carefully, okay? Beloved, don't be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. It's coming upon you to test you. It, it has a purpose. 
It comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So, so when the fiery trial happens, don't, don't be surprised by it as though this is something extracurricular. It was unexpected in, in that way. Verse 13, but rejoice. So instead of being surprised and knocked off your feet and wondering what the purpose of this particular trial is, we're supposed to rejoice in that trial insofar as you're sharing in Christ's sufferings. You're you're sharing in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Christ came and uh, even though he was the son of God and was deserving of all the respect and glory and honor, he was not afforded it. So that when you encounter the same things for your faith, when you experience trials, you are to rejoice because you're you're sharing with Christ and his sufferings, okay? Now, it goes on further. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you, okay? So, uh, without taking too long to unpack that certain statement, it's essentially this. You've been given the name, and if you, re- you receive um, rejection for, for bearing that name, it's, it's, uh, it's confirmation, that you truly have the Spirit of God. You are blessed to receive that. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer as a meddler. So if you're going to suffer, suffer, do it righteously. Don't, don't be a bonehead and get thrown in jail for, for doing something stupid and, and being a bad guy. Do it. Uh, be, be in jail. Be persecuted. Be hated for the name of Christ, right? For the name of God. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. So if you do wind up in jail, And if you do wind up being made fun of or some spectacle is made of you, don't be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So you're supposed to rejoice in the fact that you're being persecuted for the name of God, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of of God? And then it says, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, um, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner. Now, scarcely might make you think that like we barely made it. And really the idea there is that if, if, if it took Christ coming, giving all, being sacrificed and resurrected to, to life, if that's what it takes for somebody to be saved, the amount of effort, the amount of work, if, if we're saved through that kind of um, trial, how much, how much more difficult is it, right, for those who are ungodly? and those who are sinners. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So all of that is to say this. When when you encounter trials, you might have some idea in your head about what that looks like. And the trials essentially here are are testing. And and, um, it's not always the big things. Though the big things tend to knock knock us off our feet, it's, it's the everyday Every day is a test of your faith. Every day is producing something in you. It is a trial that's, that's proving the worthwhileness of what it is that you carry. So this um, leads to a question. What, what is uh, courage to, to face these different situations? Or, or where does, what is the source of courage might be a good question to ask. Well, plainly uh, defined is this. Courage is the state or quality of mind or spirit that enables one to face danger or harm with confidence resolution and bravery. It does not necessarily mean that you come out on top, though. You can, you can bravely go to your death. With courage, you can face a trial and, 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 and in the estimation of others and by all outside as, uh, measurements seem to have lost, but it's important that we see that we're supposed to face trials with the courage of knowing that we have the victory in Christ. And the ultimate source of courage is this very simple 
Statement of three words. Christ is Lord. Christ is Lord. That means he's risen, reigning, and he is the owner of all things. He is in control of everything that's happening. And and regardless of what our estimation is on the current situation that we're walking through or what it seems like is happening in the world, we hold fast to that, that Christ Christ is Lord. Okay? Now, with that said, uh, look at your Bibles this morning. And we're going to start in Acts chapter 5. In verse 17. Are you there? Okay. I don't have slides for you this morning, so you've got to have to follow in your own word, right? And, and check my work. But um, because we're breaking up the text, it, it just would have been too much to go back and forth in slides. So here we are. Verse 17, just to remind you what, where we're at, is that um, uh, Peter and John uh, have been preaching, and, uh, and that's a problem. So here it is. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and they're filled with jealousy. So here we have uh, essentially this, the battle lines being drawn. Um, we, we sort of carry around the, the false impression that um, there's this, there is an epic war that's happening, right? And it's, it's God versus Satan. And uh, we, we think about it more like uh, the Star Wars battle or something, where it, it's like an evenly matched blow for blow, and uh, we're, we're just not sure who's going to prevail. And sometimes it looks like, um, you know, it, like God might lose you know, because of all the stuff that we're, we're looking at in the wor- world, and we think, oh no, Satan's winning for a while. Listen, at the cross, at the cross, definitively, God's enemy, Satan, is defeated. The decisive victory is won. What you are living in is the era of victory. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not still rebellion. And it doesn't mean that the, the declaration of that uh, is without resistance. And we see that overall. So here's, here's the two sides. And here's where we would make a, we would tend to make a mismeasurement here. Because we look, we look at who's doing the opposition here. We say, well, those are the religious people. And um, these are not two people on the same side having a disagreement about secondary issues. This is not, you know, uh, I like chocolate, you like vanilla, but we're both eating ice cream. Okay? This is, I'm making soy cakes and calling it ice cream. Okay? These are, these are fundamentally different things. And, and, and they're problematic. So you, you need to see that the distinction here is important, which is going back to what um, we started. So all the way through the end of chapter 4 and into chapter 5, I've sort of developed all the way down a road and it's kind of left us with like three ropes hanging and they've not really been connected to anything. And here's where they become connected. The distinction here is important that you've been called out as the church from among the world. And that means you belong to God. And there is no middle position. There's no neutral ground. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you are against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. Okay. You are either team God or team devil. Even though you might have religious stuff in your life that doesn't make you sort of a neutral position. And that's exactly where we see these people. So um, the, the battle line here seems to be, um, you know, like the, the struggle. We're not sure who's winning. God will win. He has already won. And, and what we have as the church is the marching orders to advance that, that victory all throughout time and through um, all of the world. And, and that's the, the, the whole point of the, um, the Great Commission. Because, because of what's happening, uh, go and teach them to obey all that I've commanded, uh, preaching in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so this is our, this is our job. And so um, here we have them meeting opposition. It's from the Sadducees in it, and it's all those who are gathered under this distinction. And this is uh, 
what uh, Jesus warned of. This is the exact playing out of what he says in Matthew 24 and what John says when they, when they come out and he calls them the brood of vipers. And he, uh, Jesus calls them the children of the devil and the children of wrath. He's making this same distinction where we sort of kind of, we don't like to make um, hard distinctions about people, about good and bad. And uh, here it is being made and people will reveal themselves, but only if we, we stick to the reality that there is a true distinction there. And so here's what we need to say about that. If, if you're not willing to identify the enemy, you are useless for the battle. Okay? If, if you can't discern who's on your team and who's not on your team, either you're not on the right team or, or you're just not um, being honest about what the distinction is. And that should um, clue you into the reality that there is an enemy and he is working hard to do as much as damage that he, as, he, as he can between now and ultimate victory being won over everything. Does that make sense? So the rebellion of the devil is just to pull as many down with him on the way to going down himself. Uh, and that's what we see occurring in the world. So if you do know that you have an enemy and you're not willing to make the distinction, then you're either dumb, okay? Or, or um, you're, you're, not, uh, you're not doing what God tells you to do, which is to identify him. And, but but we're, never, we're never instructed to be scared of the devil. We're called to resist him. You know, it's, it, regardless, of, even though it will say that he, the prince of the power of the air or he's the god of this world, all of these distinctions, that never says be afraid of the power of the devil. It says when he identifies or when you see it, come against it. Push back. Why? Because you already are, you're working from the victory. And um, I, don't, I, I don't have nothing else to say on that particular thing. But it's, it's, it's an important distinction to be made. We have an enemy, but we fight um, against a defeated foe, essentially. So verse 18, it says that these guys, they, they are all grouped together under this enemy distinction. They arrested the apostles. and They put them in a public prison. But during the night, the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors. And he brought them out and he said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. There's, there's, um, there's three words here that, that um, will, will help you understand how to fight this, this battle and help you understand how to work the mission through faithfulness in all of your life, regardless of whether it's a big thing or a small thing. Go stand and speak. So I want to just take a few minutes to look behind um, each of these words. So the first one we see here uh, that the angel commands them to go. It's not, it's not a suggestion. It's not a, if you think this is a good idea, if this works somewhere in your strategy, it is a command and it's, it, it's, it's a sense of immediacy. It's in the present tense, which also means it's ongoing. That's why I added the ing. So you can think of it as going, not go. And then if you make it and sneak away before anything happens, then you fulfilled, you know, obedience in that sense. It's an ongoing thing. You must continue to do it. So go and keep going. Um, this is, uh, this is interesting because I think if you or I had the unfortunate circumstance to be put into an actual prison and uh, for whatever reason, the angel of the Lord literally gives us a jailbreak, what's the first thing you're doing? 
You're going far away as you can. You're, you're looking for safety. And yet here they're instructed to go back to the place uh, and into the, the mouth of danger. Go, go here also carries the, with it the, the sense of uh, fording a river. We don't talk about that because uh, you guys don't play Oregon Trail anymore. But fording a river, think about this way. You're, you have to cross something with, it doesn't matter what opposition lays between you and the other side of the bank. Go. Does that make sense? It doesn't matter what comes against you. The, the, the demand is to get from here to there. Um, I, I think of uh, Sherlock Holmes. He had laid this extravagant plan and he tells Watson, um, come at once if convenient. If inconvenient, come all the same. Okay? You can think of it that way. If it's inconvenient, it doesn't matter. It doesn't negate the necessity that you get from side A to side B. Go and stand. This is in the aorist passive. You don't have to know very much Greek, but you need to know that this means um, it's an it's a action that's taken place in the past, and it's completed, and it's, it's in a passive voice, which means they didn't do it themselves. So you can think of it like this, and being stood. Go and being stood. So, so why does that matter? Because it's not something that they've chosen to do. It's not the place they've decided to go. It's the place God has told them to be and the place where he has put them. And we don't think about our circumstances very often like that because it's uncomfortable. Because when we find ourselves in uncomfortable situations, we think, I shouldn't be here. But the uncomfortable situation is exactly where they're supposed to be. This is the place where they're stood in this particular case. You must work in the place where you're planted. There's, there's much to say in, uh, in Scripture about the way that man plans um, his, his, his steps, or, or the man, man plans his way, but the Lord orders his steps. And in James, it talks about the idea that we make these plans about today and tomorrow, and uh, it's the Lord who, who uh, we, we, we can't control any of that, but it's the Lord who, who uh, has, has control over these things. So um, what, what should we take from this? That the place where you stand is the place where, where God wants you. And uh, we ought not to squirm away from the places where he makes us to stand, even when they're uncomfortable. Um, it seems like, uh, it's not, it doesn't seem like, here's exactly what happens in this case. It's like, they, they go to jail, and we think that's the frying pan. And uh, then they get let out of jail, and we're like, oh, you know, praise the Lord, they got let out of jail. It's, it's out of the frying pan into the fire because they, they get let out of jail to go back into the mouth of danger. And then you'll, you'll see here at the end, um, they're beaten severely. So um, sometimes the place where you're stood is not about your comfort, but it's about being in the place where God needs you at that moment to be a witness. So I don't want to, uh, I don't want to negate the point that uh, that uh, it could be easily made here. They're, they're let out of jail. And, and praise the Lord that there's um, no locked doors for God, right? There's, let me say that again. There are no locked doors for God. If, if there's some place that you are captive and the Lord wants you out, there is no prison that can keep you. Amen? Amen? Now, if there's a prison that the Lord wants you in, there's no way to escape it. Ask Jonah. Okay? So, so if you get the amen on the out-of-jail card, there's got to be an amen for the in-jail card. And that's the one we don't like as much. But you must go to the place where you've been stood. Okay? So it has a purpose. Circumstances are not a restriction on God's will. 
Circumstances are not a restriction on God's will. They're the place where you've been put to carry it out. Okay? So, so we, we tend to assume this can't possibly be the, I can't be in God's will because this is ugly, right? I don't want to be here. And, and surely if God wanted me to do something, it would look a lot more like Hawaii and a beach. And none of the things that I'm experiencing right now, and you need to know that you're there by God's hand. We see this later in Acts, right? Here they get out of jail. Later, um, Paul's put in prison. Paul's beaten. Paul's beaten to death. And then he gets right back up and he goes right back in the city and continues to do exactly what God told him to do, which is to preach the gospel, which is the last part of this. Speak. Also in the present tense. So you could translate that speaking. Continue to speak. It's imperative. It means it's a command. All the words of this life. Um, in our, uh, in our Bible study this week, it was talking about the, the reality of our need to speak not just a partial, a partial truth of what the gospel is. We, we can tend to major on the benefits of, of Jesus. He, he provides eternal life. He gives forgiveness of sins. Yes, yes, and amen. But he's also the one who will judge the world, right? He's also the righteous, holy um, son who... who uh, who has wrath. And uh, if you don't believe me, just read a few verses in Revelation and you'll you'll figure that out. And so they're told to go and declare all the words of this life. It's not about necessarily the life to come. In fact, you'll see that Peter in his um, presentation of the gospel here is he's kind of all wrath. And he, he doesn't even make mention of the thing that we tend to make most mention of, which is eternal life. And I think uh, it's not because Peter doesn't value eternal life. It's because of what eternal life brings to this life now. Jesus never talks about how great it will be in heaven, though that is a promised reward. He he, he always talks about the implication of what true, full, eternal life means right now in our lives. And in John um, 6, uh, 63, um, you know, Jesus says, uh, my, my words are life. And then um, after that, the response is, all, all these people go away. And then he says, where else, where else can we go, Lord? For you alone have the words of life. This is the purpose of what they've been told to do, to go, continue to go. It doesn't matter what opposition you find. In the place where you're stood, which is in this case, the temple, right back into the teeth of the lion and speak all the words of what it is for Jesus to have come and lived the life of fullness. Now, verse 21. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak. So immediately they're obedient. They begin to teach. And when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel. And they sent to the prison to have them brought. So they're still assuming that the uh, apostles are in prison, much to their chagrin, they're not. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and they reported We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to or what the end of this would be. Um, I'm not going to spend a long time on this. Um, You just need to back up to verse 17 and remind yourself that this is the party of the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were the ones that don't believe in... um, there's, there's like a hint of irony in this. They don't believe in anything um, besides physical. There's, there's no spiritual element. So angels, 
No, not a thing, okay? And they only practice the first five books of Moses. They don't believe in the resurrection. So hear the irony now. They put these guys in prison and uh, an angel of the Lord, you know, at night goes and frees them. And so, uh, of course, their response to um, this thing is, um, it's outside of their worldview. So they can't fathom how anything else could have happened. Some, something surely... Um, you know, some plausible explanation that's, that's not afforded. And you need to hear that clearly. If something has been eliminated out of somebody's worldview before they've ever heard it, it, it doesn't matter if they're looking at the connect the dots picture with all the dots connected. And it's clearly a giraffe, you know? And it's, I don't see it. That's exactly what's happening here. The picture's clearly painted and uh, it, it's just, it's outside of their, their worldview. And so they can't possibly fathom. And so they wonder, what the end of these things, what, what will come of this? Um, and there's, a, there's some uh, for, foreshadowing here because um, there's some things like this that have happened before. There's been some uprisings before by different people. And so they're kind of wondering, is this a, is this a rebellion? But uh, the fact that the, the guards are in place and the doors are locked, it's just not something that they're going to address. So um, I don't have time for this this morning, but I'll say it anyway. So when, when you try to... Um, persuade somebody about the truth of God or the truth of the gospel. Um, there's, there's lots of different approaches and we don't have to get into the technical terms, but the, I think the least effective way is to, tr- to try to p- persuade somebody by some sort of physical evidences in the world. Now, if somebody has an objection based on theory of evolution, something like that, whatever, you, you can address those, but you should not present that as your, your, uh, your best evidence that God is who he is, okay? And uh, the reason is because the old saying is true. A man convinced against his will is what? Of the same opinion still. That's the, a man convinced against his will is of the pa- same opinion still. You can't convince somebody against something they've already decided is untrue. Even if you, you, you think you have concrete evidence, it's already outside of their worldview. You have to start somewhere else, which is the, the truth of God, Okay? That's, that's uh, extra points this morning. All right, here we go. Verse 25, someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and they're teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and they brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Just file that away for next week. We've been talking about fear and how fear controls people and the response. Um, here we, we see the first time they, they kind of, it says they like seize them. The idea is like, you know, they weren't, they weren't nice about it and the first time they put him in public prison. But this time, they, they send him in to the temple. Uh, it's daytime. And they're a little worried about what, what kind of problem that's going to bring. And, uh, and so they don't do it by force. And so we think, oh, how nice. You know, like God's, God's given some provision there. Well, don't, don't jump ahead of yourself. Here it is, verse 27. And when they brought them, they set them before the council. So this is not, um, you know, this is not the church board. This is, this is Congress. This is, you've been brought before the, the, the ruling body politically and religiously. There is, there is really no, there's no more power that you would be worried about. Yes, you're worried about Rome, but this is sort of the highest order and certainly the most immediate threat to, uh, to you. So when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, now we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled up Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Um, 
So here's what they say. They say, we, we commanded you with a command. We, we mandated you with a command. We, we gave you an order. Um, I said that three times just to jog anything in your brain that might have happened in the last two years. We've commanded you with a command about what you can and cannot do. Okay? Now, I, I have a lot more to say on that, but it won't be today. So come back next week if you want my political diatribe. But it will be, it will be biblical. And it, and it will probably push back on some of the things that you want to he- hear and maybe reinforce some things that you, uh, that you don't want to hear. Or I said that backwards. But nonetheless, the, the problem here is that um, the command that they've given is a, is a direct violation of the command that they were just given and reiterated by the angel, right? Go and speak. Well, we have to speak because that's what we're told by God. And so the response is, um, you know, we must obey God rather than men. But before we we jump to their response, look at what they're charged with. First of all, the the charge is uh, the best compliment of all time. He says, look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. I just want to point out here, they didn't fill Jerusalem with zealots. Um, they, didn't, they didn't fill the temple with a contrary doctrine. They filled the city exactly as they were meant to do. And the only way that happened was, guess what? Them going out and carrying the message, which is exactly what was the point of last week. We said, go from this place. This is, not the, uh, this is not the main thing. This is like the, uh, this is the team meeting before the game, okay? And all the rest of your life, is what's happening. And I, I'm helping to equip you. We're coaching. We're going over game plan, the right way to do things. This is, this is not um, the main deal. This is the preparation to go out and play the game. And um, you, you need to see that it's, it's outside um, the temple that they've uh, effectively fulfilled the mission. So they filled Jerusalem with their teaching. Is there any better testimony to, to being faithful? There isn't. So the victory here is not in, in the church's growth, though that has happened. The, 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 the main point of faithfulness is that they spread the truth of who Jesus is and those whom God has called has, have responded. And um, we see that. So they're, they're like, you, you fill Jerusalem with this teaching. And then they say, you intend to bring this man's blood upon this, which, which is, um, it just smacks of irony. So here it is um, in uh, Matthew chapter 27. This is during the, the trial of Jesus. And uh, Pilate's like, I, I can't find anything wrong. He's, this man is innocent and he wants to release him. And the whole Barabbas back and forth. And they want Barabbas. Release to us Barabbas. And he says, what do you want, us, what do you want me to do with this man? And it says, all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. This is what, they, this is what the crowds, these very people shouted at the at the trial of Jesus, and here they are now upset about that. They're, they're saying, look, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And this is what Jesus said would happen, that all the blood of the, of the prophets and those that were killed would come upon this generation. And that's for those that um, are rejecting um, the message. So in verse 29, it says, but Peter and the apostles answer, rightly so, we must obey God rather than men. Now, lest that, like, really light your anarchist fire, that's not what's happening there, okay? You are commanded in Scripture both to obey God rather than men, but also obey the authorities that, that God has put in place. And, um, and we'll talk about how to do that more next week. Uh, but for the sake of, of the point of today, um, know that you're called to resist 
at the point where any, anyone's command, it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Congress or whether it's an angel himself, nothing should contradict the uh, spoken and the written word of God. So if that is your highest order of responsibility and let the chips fall where they may. So the God of our fathers, here's Peter's response, the God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And here Peter makes, he's not being nice about it. He's, he's not being subtle or, or um, there's not a lot of nuance in this statement. Listen, uh, the God of our fathers, it's not, it's not a different God. It's not a new religion. He, um, he raised Jesus whom you killed by crucifying him on a tree. This is a hearkening back to Deuteronomy where it says, cursed is anyone who, um, who's hung on a tree. And that we're told then in um, Galatians, yes, that uh, Christ became uh, uh, a curse for us um, so, so that he effectively took our place. And here's Peter um, essentially confirming that is the essence of the gospel, Christ in our place. So God exalted him at the right hand as leader and as savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. That leader, that leader is, a, is an important word. He's the, um, he's the uh, pioneer. He's the author. This is like the one who, who, um, who, who blazes the trail. And um, an important distinction that he's, he's given um, is that he's the firstborn uh, from the dead. So uh, file that away for next week. I, I told you that sort of the middle section here will, will come more into play then. But um, you need to know that that, that leader thing is, um, it's not about how good we are or how much we can hold fast or resist or, or, or what we know. Um, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, it says this, but thanks be to God who always leads us triumphantly as what? That's an interesting thought that you are led in victory as a captive. Uh, I don't think we often think of our victory march as one where we are um, captives. Now, what, what, is, um, what does this mean? What does this look like? Why, why is this stated this way? Because we are the spoils of Christ's victory over the world and over Satan. So that's why you belong to him. And so when you are marching in victory over the world and over sin and over death and over the devil and you're set free and so on and so forth, you're doing so as one who belongs to Christ. And, um, and that's why he is the leader and he's also savior. He's leader and savior. And it says, um, he leads us triumphantly. Um, and, and then it says, um, and, and through us, um, spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. So he, we, we are the means by which he's, um, he's perpetuating um, this truth. And then look in verse 32, the confirmation of that exact phrase. And we are witnesses to these things. You, you are the witness to who Christ is. You are um, the truth of the gospel lived out. And how do we know that? Well, the Holy Spirit, whom he gives to those who obey him. You, you know that because you have the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. And he's also the one that is the sign and the seal that we, we actually possess this resurrection life. Now, verse 33, when, he heard, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. Real quick, in, in verse 33 is a pairing with, um, uh, I think it's 18, where it says they're filled with jealousy and this is actually, now they're filled with rage. And so I just want you to track the sequence. We have a church that's filled with the Spirit. 
And uh, they're doing amazing things, serving one another. They're of one mind and one purpose and one mission. And then we have Ananias and Sapphira, whose hearts are filled with Satan. And they serve man or the fear of man. And then we have the religious uh, leaders who are now filled with jealousy and filled with rage. And this has caused them to act on that. They're enraged and they want to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and he gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. And he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. So, so remember that speculation they had, what will be the end of these things? This is what's in their mind, okay? Well, Theudas rose up, and like 400 people joined him, but he was killed, right? We, we know where he is. He's, he's dead, and all who followed him were dispersed, and they came to nothing. And another one, in 37, and after him, Judas, a Galilean, uh, a different Judas, um, not the one who betrayed Jesus. He rose up in the days of the census and he drew away some of the people after him. But he too perished. And, he, and all who followed him, they were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God in this just smacks of irony as he's, it's coming out of his mouth. You might even be found to opposing God. And so they took his advice. And um, this sounds very like good. It's, it's the right thing. And uh, sometimes wisdom uh, comes out of unrighteous mouths. And sometimes preservation comes from an unrighteous source. And that's true in this case. Look, they're, they're, killing, they're, they're desiring to kill him and it doesn't come to fruition. Sometimes God's preservation and intervention happens by an angel. And sometimes it's by a, a totally unrighteous thing. In either case, um, Gamaliel is, is no friend of the apostles. This is... Um, the one who's credited with teaching Saul, who we're about to find out is um, breathing threats and, and murdering uh, people in the church. So um, this, this guy is no friend of the apostles, no friend of the church. So um, what we see here is that um, this should bring us courage, that regardless of the circumstances or who happens to be in front of us, we don't have to worry about whether or not there's somebody that serves God. God will have his, his way. He, he will preserve us if that's what's meant to happen. Or if not, um, you need to learn uh, these three words. And if not, everybody say it. And if not, ready? So uh, guess, guess what? When, um, when the king wants to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire, and... Uh, they're like, well, what are you going to do? And he's like, uh, you know, I believe our God will preserve us. And they say, and if not, we'll, we'll serve him anyway. Same thing that Daniel says. And if not, even so, the same thing that Job says. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But still, regardless, in spite of, it doesn't matter of the predicament or the outcome. And if not, okay? And when they had called the apostles, they beat them. That's not the, the happy sitcom ending we were looking for, right? Aha, they thwarted the prison and they thwarted the council and they're set free. And then on their way out, they strike a match and walk away with a cool action explosion behind them. That's not what happens here. 
They beat them. In the Greek, is the, they, they scourged them, which is a severe beating. Some people didn't even survive that. They scourged them, and their response is, they're broken and quiet, and they go into hiding. Is that what it says? Look at your Bible. They beat them, and they charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go, because it's all they have left. It's all they have left is to try and impose physical pain to make their point. This is the fulfillment of what Jesus warned them in Matthew chapter 10. He says, beware of men. Beware of men, for they will hand you over to their councils and they will flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and the Gentiles. Jesus here is using the lives of the apostles as a witness for him and for the gospel. So doing the right thing and being obedient does not mean you will not experience difficulty and that everything ends happy. When they left the presence of the council, they were doing what? They were rejoicing. They were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were happy about this beating. And um, I remind you now of what it said in 1 Peter. Don't be surprised by the trial, but count it what? Joy. Count it joy for the testing of your faith. Opposition and trials and difficulties and circumstances, mundane and regular and great and grievous are all part of what it means to walk in faithfulness. Don't be surprised. Instead, count it joy that God has seen fit to use your life in a way as a testimony to him. So we, we shy away from the, the hard things because uh, we're afraid of pain. I mean, that's, uh, that's us in our flesh. But the point of being counted worthy is that God has seen our faith as worthy to use as an example for other people of how glorious and worthwhile and trustworthy he really is. That in spite of good or bad, blessed be the name of the Lord. And where's the encouragement of this? Well, it's, uh, it's all about our response. So from the great theological hymn from Chumbawamba, I get knocked down, but I get up again. <laughs> You're never going to keep me down, right? Sometimes being set free um, is to go and stand in the face of danger. And sometimes being exactly in the right place means exactly in the right place, right in the middle of the crosshairs. Right at the focus of pain, right in the place where you would think that God doesn't want you to be is exactly where he needs you. And so rather than squirming out of that, we're supposed to stand with courage knowing that when we do that, that is the testimony that God uses as a witness for himself. So hear this. Yes, God sets us free from our prison. And prison is used all throughout scripture as a metaphor for what we are captive to sin. But he sets us free and he leads us in victory as captives for him. You are set free to serve. You are set free to be witnesses for him. Look at 42. And every day, how often? Every day, all the time, in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So the whole church, all the time, 
in all their lives. If it was in church, if it was in the temple, if it's in the marketplace, if it's in your house, if it's in my house, if it's in the prison, it does not matter. Jesus is the Christ. So constantly, everywhere, at all times, teaching and preaching. So here we have the connection. Go and preach. We must obey God rather than man. They did not cease preaching in the temple or house to house. So we deal with this reality that it's not just in the great big things, but in the small and regular things that we find faithfulness being our calling. And we don't shy away from the big difficulties when they meet us, but we don't look for those and, uh, and forsake the small things and miss the regular everyday faithfulness. God has not called all of you to go be martyrs for Congre- before Congress or something, but he has called you to live a life of regular faithfulness. And that's as much of a testimony as anything else. I'm going to end with this, Romans 14. None of us lives to himself. And none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are... For to this end, Christ died and he lived again. That he might be the Lord. So that's Savior. That is King That is, owner, you don't like that word, but it's true. Both of the dead and of the living. So whether you live for him or you're dying for him, it is in his name and for his glory and his honor.